Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Rounders, a history of baseball in America. I am excited to have with me today another Jeff. You may know him better on social media under the username Mask and Mitten. Jeff is here today to discuss with us a little bit about the history of catcher's equipment. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. Now, for those who may not be familiar with you and your social media account and what you post online, could you just give a quick overview of uh, what you collect and what you share in general for baseball fans? So I, I, I love vintage catcher's gear. Um, and so I've been collecting that for the last seven or eight years. Um, I, simply, I was a catcher um, growing up. And so I started this collection because I didn't see anybody else doing the same, or at least they weren't advertising it. Um, and so I try to work in the dead ball era period, um, all the way up to about 1940, um, primarily collecting masks and mitts or mittens, you know, if, if it's early enough, um, and any other type of paraphernalia that really deals with that position. And so I post a lot of those things on my Instagram account, along with a lot of catchers from the dead ball era, pictures of them. I try to find pictures that nobody else has seen or, or ones that really um, encapsulate the, the actual uh, position and how it was played during that time period. And I can't wait to jump into talking a little bit about what you have in your collection. And before we get into that, I wanted to just get uh, a start from the beginning and really get to know you as a, a baseball um, fan, really. Could you discuss with us a little bit about what are the roots of your love for baseball? When did you start taking an interest in the sport? Where did that passion for the game begin? I started early. Um, so I obviously, I played Little League um, and up through high school. And at about high school, I started um, in the position of a catcher. I always wanted to be a catcher. I was always drawn um, to the, you know, to the field general is what I equate it to. Um, and so in high school, I actually did pretty well. I, w- I was pretty fortunate. Um, I got drafted uh, my senior year out of high school by the Texas Rangers. Um, this is back in 1997. Mm-hmm. Um, and made the decision to go to college and said I was drafted so low. Um, and so I played college ball for about three years. Um, and my end of my junior year, I ended up getting injured um, and stopped playing. Um, one of my regrets uh, to this day, and you know, I probably should have finished out. Um, but ever since then, I really love the position and I've always followed a lot of, a lot of the catchers. Um, and, you know, one of my favorite teams at the time was the Texas Rangers, you know, and, and Pudge Rodriguez, you know, how could you not love Pudge? Uh, one of the best that played. Um, and so that's, that's what really brought me into this field of wanting to, to collect the, that, like I said, the items, um, I don't know what it is about, you know, it's almost like the suit of armor you're out on the field and, and there was something about it that really, really like draws me to it. If, if that makes sense. Yeah, I've always looked at it as you really are the quarterback, the field general, I guess you could say for your team when you're behind the plate, not only are you calling the balls and strikes, you know, setting up the strategy for the pitcher, but you're really directing a lot of things at once. It's, it's a very, um, it's a cerebral position. You have to know everything that's going on at all times. Absolutely. And I, I think a lot of people don't know a lot of the, the things that do go on or a lot of things that catchers do um, are, are responsible for on the field. You know, there's a lot more than than what you see on TV. And I always tell people, you know, your best catcher is a catcher you don't notice. Um, that means he's not making any errors. He's not doing anything wrong. 
Uh, that's a good catcher. So you bring up a great point, Jeff. There's so many catchers that I uh, respect, you know, just growing up a fan myself. One of my favorite catchers of all time was Jason Veritek for the Boston Red Sox. I think he he oversaw eight no-hitters throughout his career, and I think it was through five different pitchers. Don't quote me on that. That's off the top of my head. But he just – he was so good at making the pitchers on – you know, in the rotation for the Red Sox, just so much better. And there was a change there too. When he retired, when he moved on, you could see the drop. And I don't think a lot of people gave him credit for that during his time, just how, how much better he made, I guess you could say the, the people around him that depended on him. So that's, that's who I think of when I think of a catcher that I really respect and follow, but there's a long list of them. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go through. Um, I wanted to ask you in your description for your social media profile on Instagram, you list that you're a tools of ignorance devotee. Now, you know, for baseball fans and historians, we've heard the term tools of ignorance and, you know, being a vintage catchers gear collector as you are, I was wondering if you could start us off since this is a history podcast talking about that term. Do you have any background history into what uh, tools of ignorance refers to what the origin of that term was and what exactly it refers to? So from my research, I mean, I'd always heard it growing up, um, but from from what I understand, it was uh, Harold Rule who actually coined the term back in around 1915, or he, excuse me, not, he played between 1915 and 1934, um, but he made the, the coined the term because the position needed so much equipment. Um, so almost like you'd have to be an idiot to play it, you know, um, because so many people were getting injured at the time. So you'd have to be almost ignorant to play um, uh, the catcher's position. So I just love the way it sounds, <laughs> you know, it almost sounds as if, uh, you know, to me, it's almost like a badge of honor term, I guess. Um, cause I, you know, when I played, I always had people say, Oh, you know, tool, tool of ignorance as if it was a derogatory comment towards me, which I never thought it was. Um, like I said, it was, it just, it's the tough position of being a catcher, um, and you're smarter than you, you know, like we said earlier, the field general, you're smarter than a whole lot of people, a lot of people know, you know. If, so, yeah, the, the tools of ignorance, and I, I, I definitely a devotee of it, so. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it takes a lot of guts. It takes someone who's really willing to, you know, uh, squat down, groin out, you know, and take a 90-mile-per-hour fastball right, you know, to the stomach every time. And not only that, to deal with base runners coming straight at you and crashing into you. Uh, you know, in order to to just do whatever's needed, really, whether it's a pop up and jumping into the stands behind you, there's there, there's a lot of hazard that goes with that position. I I think uh, is a fair statement. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now let's go ahead and talk about so the tools of ignorance. You're right. You know, there's a lot of equipment involved with being a catcher, and obviously that's come a long way since you know the the origins of baseball. Uh, I was hoping you could give us a little bit of a history lesson on the evolution of catcher's gear. Um, you know, starting back around 1864, when we start to see the first organized clubs pop up, um, based on your collection, where did you see uh, catcher's gear really start to evolve? What, were, what did some of the first pieces look like? Well, so going all the way, I mean, obviously there was no pieces worn um, back in the 1860s. Um, there was actually mouthpieces that were worn. Um, and I actually posted one on my Instagram account today that I found, uh, coincidentally enough, um, and almost like a boxer's mouthpiece. But mind you, the, the catchers weren't right on top of the plate like they are today. They were, you know, eight to ten feet behind the plate, um, often fielding the pitch off the bounce. Um, 
not wearing any type of glove equipment. Um, and has pitchers evolved, the catching position evolved as well, um, which required more equipment. So the closer the catcher got to the plate, obviously, the more equipment they would need, you know, foul tips. Um, also, pitchers started throwing overhand um, somewhere around 1870. And with that came uh, the need for catchers to be able to catch the ball more efficiently. Um, and so you didn't really have any type of equipment, like I said, going up until um, about 1870s, like you, or you, I think you said 1864 with organized balls, about 1870. Um, and this started with a gentleman by the name of Fred Thayer. Uh, he was uh, played at Harvard, not with the Harvard Nines. Um, and from what I understand, there was a catcher on the team that did not want to play because he was scared of getting hurt um, and he didn't want to play in the position. And so Fred Thayer actually went to a Boston wire maker and asked him to make him a mask. And the mask resembled more of a fencing mask, uh, if you're familiar with the, you know, the fencing. Um, and he made him this mask and gave it to this, this player and this player agreed to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with that, the mask just evolved from there. It picked up quickly, you know, Spalding picked it up. They started advertising it back in the early or uh, late 1800s. Um, and like I said, the mask evolved because at one point it was just the fencing style with the round oval with the pad um, and the bar that ran vertically all the way down. Do you know how well that was accepted by the general, you know, players uh, that were, were in the game? Was it something that was seen as, well, we're not going to wear a mask because it's, you know, kind of a knock on our manliness or was it seen as, oh God, this is a great idea. I have more protection well, now. Yeah. So from what I, from what I understand, the mask wasn't as um, looked against as some of the other equipment. And I'll tell you about it a little bit uh, later. The mask, um, because there were so many concussions with these players going on, a broken nose, uh, you know, teeth getting knocked out. I had never heard of anybody calling them a sissy like they did when they wore the leg guards or the chest protector. Sure. Um, uh, Because with those items, you'll see that they actually wore those under their uniform in order to uh, conceal it better, where the mask was obvious. Okay. Uh, but I, I hadn't seen anything that, that, that would remark that. And I, I would imagine that people did make uh, comments towards it. Cause I even, uh, I, I had read somewhere that um, the mouthpiece actually was, they thought the mouthpiece was going to be a great idea because it would shut the catcher up. <laughs> he wouldn't be sitting there mouthing off to the batters. So, <laughs> yeah, I can I can see why that would be a benefit for some of the people that stood behind the plate. Sure. Okay, so we have the catcher's mask, and and that developed as you mentioned, and and was accepted, you know, widely, and obviously was needed with uh, you know the hazards of, of things flying at your face in such a way. Uh, was there another piece of catcher's gear that caught on uh, in terms of popularity after the mask? What was the next progression of the catcher's equipment evolution? So it would be the chest protect, or actually we'd go back. Let's, if we're going chronologically, it would be the glove um, because the glove um, starting off was barehanded. And then as it progressed, um, they had two hand gloves, like you know, like you and I know, like a, a regular glove on both hands. Um, excuse me. And when I talk about concealing any type of equipment, the gloves were actually made flesh colored as well. So they, people, the fans wouldn't see these players using these gloves because they didn't want to be ridiculed. Hmm. Um, but the uh, the glove 
like I said, as the catcher got closer to the plate, the glove evolved as well. Um, we started with both hands, fingerless, and then, oh, I'm trying to remember the date. They actually started getting into the pillow form. And there was a player, and I'm not going to be able to, to quote who the player was, but um, he was having so many issues with ball. You know, these guys had jammed fingers, broken hands, uh, you know, maimed hands. And so he actually sewed together two of those standard gloves and fashioned a sort of type of a, a pillow looking type of, of mitt, something that resembles a little bit more of, of what we see today. Smart idea. Um, yeah. Yeah. And of course it, it, you know, if it was cold weather, you know, God bless him, it, you know, it hurt. If it was warm, um, your hand would actually start going numb after a while from what I've read and, and it was easier to bear. Um, but as the mitts progressed, they started getting lar- larger and they'd actually call them pillow mitts. Um, and I actually have one in my, in my collection and I, I, I love it. It's one of my favorite pieces. Um, they're so, so big, you know, I think the regulation is 38 inches and this is well beyond it. Um, and they began to progressively get smaller. Um, but with that said, with it being a pillow mitt, they, did, they, they didn't have a pocket in them. And so when the pitchers would throw, you would have to use your alternate hand to trap the ball. Um, and so with that came broken fingers, broken hands from foul tips on that alternate hand. Um, and so they'd actually developed a, a mitt with a better pocket, if that makes sense, you know, a little bit deeper of a pocket. And they were still trapping the ball uh, for a long period of time before they went to the, what we know now as the uh, clam form, where the, where the glove actually closes. Um, Interesting. The, yeah. And, the, the myths, you know, anything under the sun. I mean, they, they'd always come up with a different type of form of mitt. Um, some of them had the metal buckle on the top. Um, some of them actually had it, um, a form. It was a big deal for them to be able to get the, the glove off their hand quicker. Um, and so they actually patented a glove where you could throw the glove off your hand a whole lot easier if you needed to get it off. I don't know why, um, but that was a thing. Um, I guess before it was more strapped onto your hand, you know, I don't, I don't know. Um, and I actually do collect gloves as well. I don't know if I mentioned that before. Um, and I have several and some of these mitts are actually made of different type of, uh, materials. And it, it's interesting, you know, buckskin, um, and it made me think going back to the masks and to jump back really quick. I had read somewhere that the actual leather or the material, no, I shouldn't say leather, the material that was used on the padding of the masks was imported dog skin. That just kind of jumbled my mind there when I was thinking about it, when you're starting to think about the different type of leathers used for gloves. Yeah. I, hey, it's good to keep Fido nearby, I guess. that You know, I, my first question when you mentioned that, Jeff, that you've, you've probably had a chance to put some of these gloves on that you're collecting, that you're purchasing and adding. Did any of them feel comfortable compared to a modern catcher's mitt where you'd actually feel like, I could get behind a plate and work with this or were they all just, okay, they were products of their time, but I would never use this in a real game situation. Oh yeah. I, I, I couldn't imagine using the majority of them. Like I said, especially with a pillow mitt, you know, they're so rigid. They're almost like pancakes. Um, and especially when you have a pitcher that's throwing high velocity type pitches in order to trap that ball, you know, it's going to pop right out of your hand and, you know, they're, they're so rigid. Um, and so if you get your hand in the wrong, wrong spot at the right time, you know, that pitch is going to hit your hand. Um, which leads me to the next point is 
the, one of the reasons they started going to the clam style glove is because of specialty pitches like the curveball um, or wild pitches. So if you're, you have the rigid catcher's mitt um, of the time, the pillow style, and you had to reach outside of the catcher's zone, strike zone in order to catch the ball, you couldn't get that alternate hand out there to trap it. Sure. You're just uh, you not know, the ball. You're, you're knocking just, it down. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. I, and, you know, do you have a date as to when the clam style glove started to gain popularity? I think it was probably around the 1920s uh, time era. You actually start seeing a lot uh, of the gloves change where they actually started getting the actual basket um, and almost like a fielder's glove, um, where catcher's gloves have always been just this oval shape. Um, okay. and you'll see around the 1920s towards the end of the dead ball era for obvious reasons, you know, uh, the ball changed. So the gloves changed. Sure. That makes perfect sense. You know, it's an adaptation. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So we have, uh, uh, the clam style, you know, and like you said, that's really what we've, we've had moving forward. We've got the, the mask and we have the glove and catchers are getting closer to the plate in order to be able to handle the higher velocity pitches coming in. What would you uh, say would be the next big evolution in terms of catcher's equipment? So the, the, the chest protector and the, and the chest protector probably came on around the same time as the glove. Probably so that the chest protector around 1880s, where the glove was 1884. You know, um, so the chest protector, like I explained before, I had read, and I don't know how accurate it is, um, that there a Red Doolin is his name. Actually, wore, his wife was concerned about him getting injured or getting injured as he was playing. And so she fashioned um, something for him, which he wore under his uniform. Uh, it was wrapped around um, his sternum or, you know, his chest. And obviously he didn't want the fans to know he's wearing or his, his, his co-players. Um, and it caught on so well with him. He actually fashioned one with paper mache from what I've read. Wow. Um, <laughs> the chest protector didn't really become, what we know it is now until my man, Roger uh, Brashnahan uh, wore it publicly, which uh, that he's one of my all time favorites, the hall of famer. Mm-hmm. Um, the chest protector was actually air inflated and it's an apron style. Um, so it hung from the neck and you would actually inflate the chest protector for the game with air. And then when you were done with the game, you could deflate it and it would roll up and, and package well, you know, for your back. And and a lot of these pictures, a lot of the ones I try to post online, I will show, you know, you, you know catchers that will be wearing the mask, they'll be wearing the chest cracker, um, minus the, the leg guards. And those type of apron style chest tracks are huge, um, actually going all the, extending almost down past the groin area, um, but with little protection around the collarbone or the shoulders, like you see protected now. Um, so they weren't great, but it's a, you know, it's a far you know, between that and what, you know, not wearing one. And, and you said Roger Bresnahan, you know, you mentioned him as a catcher and he really popularized the tools of ignorance from my research, you know, the, the full scale, I guess, armor of a catcher, as, as you mentioned. Um, and this goes back to my question with the face mask too, in your research of him and him popularizing, I guess, the full suit, how was that received by the general public and by other players? Was, was it again seen as something that was, uh, uh, taking away from the integrity of the game or something that a, a sissy, like you said, would do? Yeah, it was. It was. Um, and Brashnahan had enough nerve to, you know, publicly wear it. Um, he was tired of getting hit by wild pitches and, and foul balls, um, and fans would ridicule him. 
um, as, as well as players, you know, that again, the catcher's position was, was, you know, the rough and tough, um, you, you know, manly position. Um, again, that may go back to the ignorance term there because, you know, it doesn't matter how tough you are. If, you know, if, if you can't play anymore with a broken hand and, and broken eye sockets, you know, there was actually one of the players that, that wore one of the first face masks, you know, had broken eye sockets, you know, and it, it ended up ending his career. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it was a big deal. And I think I read somewhere and I'm probably going to misquote it, but I, I thought Brashnahan might've been a fighter. Um, so he would actually confront fans who were giving him a hard time about it. You know, I may be misspeaking. It was him or, or another catcher um, because it bothered him so bad, but I don't blame him. You know, I absolutely don't blame him for wearing. I can't imagine them playing for so long without the chest protector. No, I agree with you. And, and it was certainly was an important development because, you know, we see where baseball has gone today and, and certainly the velocity and the, um, the diversity of pitches that we see um, to imagine a catcher standing back there and handling those types of pitches. We probably wouldn't have seen that progression if we hadn't seen the catcher's progression happen at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the longevity of these players as well. Um, you know, catchers didn't, didn't last long. Um, and now you're seeing them last longer. You know, the position is, is taxing enough squatting down, you know, 162 games. You know, some of these guys are playing almost the, the full line of games like Pedro Rodriguez, you know, um, it's a taxing position. And then to add on top of it, these type of injuries that would come with the lack of protection. So I, I think the advancements have only gotten better, <laughs> but uh, it, it's just fascinating to me what they had to work with uh, at the time. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to take a quick break for the seventh inning stretch. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Sephora stores are everywhere you are. So just pop in when you need a brown lip to match your 90s playlist. A confidence boost before your interview. Or a last minute gift for mom's birthday. There's always a Sephora near you. Just pop in. Use our store locator to find your local Sephora or Sephora at Kohl's. And welcome back to the show, everybody. Let's pick up where we left off in our conversation with Jeff Fields. So, Jeff, and so we have, you know, like you said, Bresnahan in the the 1920s and 30s, I believe, if if I'm correct, you know, really taking it to the place where we see the chest protector, the, the shin guards, the mask, and that becoming kind of the standard outfit for catchers. Uh, were there any other progressions in catcher's equipment after that time period that you saw as being landmark? So again, going back to Brashnahan, we were talking, we'd go to the light guards and, and I may have misspoke. Brashnahan wasn't the first to wear the chest protector. Obviously, you know, that it, it, it dates back to the 1886. I just mentioned him because he's the one that you see the most wearing the chest protector. Um, but with that said, he got tired of the, the, getting spiked foul balls, thrown bats, uh, you know, on his legs. And there is reports that other guys were, had worn leg guards before. And I actually may have misstoke on that too. I think it was Red Dueling, Dueling who actually wore first leg guards. I may have got him confused, but you have to forgive me. But anyway, they'd actually wrap newspaper around their, their shins um, under their uniform. But later on, like I said, Barashnahan got so tired of it um, he ended up wearing a cricket style or a cricket um, reeded leg guards. Um, and he got a lot of um, harassing because of that as well. You actually will see him in pictures um, today 
if you look, if you Google Brashnahan, they're, you know, they're big, huge leg guards, they're not very maneuverable, um, leather kneecap parts. And then the, like I said, the bottoms are reeded. I actually own a set. Um, they're hard to find. And with that, that didn't really catch on as quickly as, as like, for example, the chest protector did. The leg guards, um, were, again, were looked at as a, a sign of weakness, but Brashnahan stuck with it and, and continued to wear them. Now, were there any pieces that you came across maybe that you've added to your collection? And we'll talk about your collection in a little bit here, but uh, just, just in your research of pieces of equipment that just didn't catch on or maybe were just ineffective in, in their purpose? Uh, well, so aside from the, the mouth guard, um, you know, there it, I had seen that there was a patent for um, the baseball uh, chest protector, or I say chest protector is cage. And you'll see pictures of this. And I, I haven't found any real pictures of this. So it may have just been the, the idea or the drawing of it. And it's a large cage that actually was worn on the front body portion of, of the catcher. And it had a kind of a fence that would um, shoot up in front of the catcher's face. And it, it's like a box. There was, there's literally no way you would be able to move with this thing on. Um, I, like I said, I've never been able to see one of those um, in real life or, or a, a real picture of one. There's also catcher's masks out there that you'll see that have large wings that come out the side, wire mesh that almost sticks out from the ears, ear portion. And it's my understanding those were more and more by umpires. Uh, I have, again, I have not seen very many pictures of, of the catchers wearing those, but obviously those didn't catch on. And then the wire mesh masks um, themselves, you know, changed uh, the visibility with the early goggle style Spider-Man masks that, you know, that I was talking about earlier, you know, between the late 1800s through the early 1900s had limited visibility. Um, like I said, you had a lot of bars that were running vertically. Um, those were later removed um, in order to have a wider range of visibility um, and uh, to, to what you see today. Um, and then as you move up a little bit further, you'll see umpires were actually wearing the large black beam masks um, that had the either one or two black, uh, I say beams, but it, it's not wire. Uh, it's almost like a carbon type material. Some of those catchers actually were, I think Yogi Berra wore it as well. You'll see some pictures of him. Those actually phased out as well. But again, visibility, you had this large black beam in your way instead of having smaller wire frame. Now, overall, you know, we're talking about, I guess, the progression of catcher's equipment. And you said you mostly go up until 1940. We see today that, you know, catcher's equipment is still going through some minor changes in terms of trying to find what works best for visibility, for mobility, for you know, just overall comfort. I think one of the examples that I can think of is I've, you know, we've seen catchers, I think over the past decade, start to adopt the hockey style catcher's mask instead of the turned around hard cap, you know, with the the mask sliding over it seems to be easier to put on and take off. Um, That might be one example that I can think of, but do you see any gear changes that you've come across or even things in your own playing time that you feel may catch on in the future to help further protect the catcher and make them more effective at their position? Well, I, I think that some of the changes have already come into effect that I never, you know, I never even dreamed of when I was playing. For example, the, the your regular masks, not the hockey style masks, they're actually putting springs, uh, shock absorption type um, mechanisms on them. So when a ball comes off the mask, it's actually 
is absorbed by these little shocks uh, or springs on the side of the mask. Obviously, masks are lighter now, and you know, whether it be aluminum or any type of other material, you want them to be light. And that includes the foam padding. The foam padding can add weight. Again, I'm not as versed on what is new and current. Um, I am familiar with the hockey style mask that came around. Uh, Charlie O'Brien was one of the first to wear it. Uh, I think it was in 1991. Um, I'm not a fan of that mask. I, I'm a traditionalist. Mm-hmm. Um, and the times that I wore it, um, it was cumbersome to me especially if you were going to take it off and on, but I can see its use and its benefit. It is a whole lot safer. Um, but you know, they, they've done several studies. There's a lot of catchers who are suffering from uh, concussions um, from repeated, uh, you know, foul tips. Matter of fact, I was just reading an article the other day about Tim McCarver. You know, he has, he, he says he has uh, nerve damage in his neck from plate collisions now that really doesn't have anything to do with the mask necessarily, but I mean, it just shows to the kind of grid of the position. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, one thing I, we always hear about, and I've seen some evolutions in the technology is catcher's knees, you know, where you're constantly in a squatting position and the damage that can do long-term just to your kneecaps and, and, you know, your overall leg health. Um, you know, I can think of uh, the padding that's usually worn behind the knees sometimes by, by catchers in the modern yeah. era. Um, you know, historically, again, going back to your research, even going back to the dead ball era, was it common for pitchers to just take that same crouching position? Did they did they go on one knee? Was there any sort of uh, way to help them in terms of keeping that position through an entire game? So, I mean, obviously they were standing more upright uh, the further back you go because they were further back from the plate and the closer they got, the, the lower of the crouch they got. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny. Uh, I think it was Connie Mack, actually, I can't remember where, but he, he made a statement as far as how catchers should maintain the upright position. And, and this is almost as a uh, training manual that he was putting out, uh, that catchers shouldn't uh, be in that crouching style because they would, there was no maneuverability behind it. Um, and you needed to be able to move and you couldn't do it if you were uh, crouched. Um, but again, I think that in order to get to get to that tighter strike zone as pitchers became more accurate with their pitches and the balls became better. You know, you wanted to get a smaller target and that target required catchers to get lower and lower to the ground. And again, like you said, that, that had its um, uh, negative to it because people had ne- uh, knee conditions, you know, with it. Um, some of my favorite ca- uh, Benito Santiago, you know, used to catch with the one, you know, the one leg out and, yeah. and one knee down. Um, and be able to throw the ball from that position. Um, you don't see a lot of that anymore. Um, and I think that's because the velocity of these pitchers is getting higher and higher and it's harder and harder for these catchers to move, to move. You, you gotta be on, on point for it. So I couldn't imagine them staying in that standing position any longer than they did, especially with, with the changes that, that were happening. Um, you know, catchers were one of the first to get, uh, gloves on the field period um, and advertisements for these, you know, the gloves, the fingerless gloves were geared towards catchers before any type of basement or fielder gloves because the need for the glove was needed, you know? Um, so just goes to show that catchers have always kind of been at the forefront. I'd like to believe anyway, of the technology in baseball. And that's just my own bias opinion, but. Oh, I would agree with that. Absolutely. Any type of equipment, you know, evolution that we see usually starts behind the plate. And, uh, you know, we're seeing 
like you said, there's there's some really neat technology things that are happening right now in terms of baseball equipment, lighter equipment, you know, being able to protect different parts of the body. It's exciting. It really is to see where the sport is going. Now, I wanted to just uh, backtrack a little bit here based on what you had stated, Jeff. You mentioned some catchers that you grew up admiring, you know, names that really help push the position forward, help push catchers' equipment into the mainstream being used. You mentioned Bresnahan, you mentioned Benito Santiago, you mentioned Connie Mack, you mentioned Pudge Rodriguez. Is there a favorite catcher that you have, just your, your number one catcher in baseball history, one that you admire the most? Oh, man, it'd be tough to, to pin it down to one. I mean, I think Pudge Rodriguez, like I, like I said before, uh, is more of the, you know, all the tools uh, right there. Uh, Mickey Cochran is a close second, um, you know, hard as nails. Um, but then Brashnahan too, I, I think just being, you know, at, kind of at the forefront of uh, and not caring and, and just going out there and, you know, he was a great hitter. Again, he, he, I have a hard time comparing players to then to now, uh, simply because of the changes in the game. Um, so I would, if you, if I had to pick a number one, it'd probably be Pudge Rodriguez. Uh, you know, I grew up watching him, everything he's done has amazed me, you know, in his career, I actually got to meet him uh, two or three years ago, the year that he got inducted. I actually got to meet him. I'm a big Washington Nationals fan. And so he was up there uh, signing autographs because, um, you know, he ended his career with the Nats. That's right. Um, yeah. So uh, he's a whole lot shorter than I thought he'd be. And that's funny because growing up, you know, I'm six one, and everybody said, hey, you know, catchers got to be small. They got to be small. And it's funny, the more research I've done, it's catchers weren't always small. Um, the uh, gosh, I, I can remember his name. I don't know if it, it might've been James White. Uh, he's one of the, he's, he's the one that was credited with the apron style knit. I, I said dueling earlier, but so James White in 1882, I think he was actually about 5'11", 5'10". And that's pretty tall for the time period. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, whereas Pudge is 5'7", 5'8", you know. That's true. That's a good point. I'm looking here. Yeah. I think um, I'm trying to scan through to, to yeah, James Deacon White. Uh, who you're mentioning catcher in the 1870s. Yep. You're hundred percent right. He was tall for his uh, tall for his era. Now. Yeah. Now overall. Okay. So we talked about your favorite catchers. We talked about the evolution of the history of uh, catchers equipment going through. I'm really excited to get to this next topic, which is about talking about your personal collection, what you've been able to acquire over the years since you started uh, you know, collecting catcher's equipment, vintage catcher's equipment. Can you tell us a little bit about some of your favorite pieces or maybe some pieces that are just stand out as, you know, odd or interesting, I guess you could say? Um, so I, like I mentioned before, so I have the reeded shin guards, the right uh, Ditson uh, is the, the maker of them. Um, the probably late 1900 uh, reeded shin guards. I love them. They're in great condition. And it's so funny. I started with my collection with masks. Primarily, I started with four masks. Told my wife, "Oh, you know, this is going to be it." Well, you know, that's famous last words. Um, you know, I think my collection's up to twenty-something masks now. Um, <laughs> but I, the ones that I really want are hard to find um, because I, my favorite masks are. I have four of the Spider-Man or, or goggle-style masks that I talked about earlier. Um, where the, the, the wire mesh and they actually have the vertical bar coming up the front and some of them actually have the padding is coming out of some of them and it's horsehair. You can see it coming out. It's amazing to me. Those are probably some of my favorites. One of them actually has a throat protector on there, an early throat protector that they were trying to 
to push for a while there. As far as mitts, like I said, I have a, I have a pillow mitt, you know, it's about a 38 inch uh, pillow type mitt um, with not very much of a pocket. Um, and, and then I could tell you what my, my wish list is uh, outside of these, because the, the airfield apron uh, chest tricks are so hard to find. Um, you know, that's something I'm always looking for. Um, and, and they're extremely expensive. And a, and a funny story is, you know, I found one on eBay and I was so excited about it and ordered it, you know, in a rush, got it. And it's a child size. So <laughs> I have a child size apron mitt now, or a chest protector, um, which actually is pretty cool in itself because I do have a couple child uh, size catcher's masks. Um, and it's, they're actually legitimate wire. I mean, they're thin wire, you know, the ball hit them at high velocity, probably bend them. Um, but it's pretty cool to know that they were actually making the same styles for, for the youth. Uh, as far as any other pieces, I mean, I'm, I'm always on the lookout for, for anything that's, that's unique or hadn't been, hadn't been seen, you know, very often. And, um, I have a, one of my catcher's masks is that famous spitter mask that Yogi Berra wore, or excuse me, Al Lopez wore, and it has the actual uh, circle in front of your mouth. Yep. Um, I have a c- couple of these in it. So we have the circle and then I have one that has the diamond frame. Uh, and I actually posted one on Instagram the other day. Um, and why they made those was legitimately for them to fit. Um, you know, cause why else, you know, you can talk just fine. It's, it's to get something out of your mouth if you need to get it out of your mouth. And I think that's pretty cool. So. Now we must have some listeners with some memorabilia of their own, or maybe some pictures of, of items that they've come across. And, you know, I'm sure they'd love to share some of this with you, you know, as a fellow aficionado for collecting vintage equipment. So just for the people that are listening, Jeff, can you tell them how can they connect with you to be able to see what you post about your own collection and, and just catcher's history in general? How can they follow you? How can they connect with you? So again, I, I have an Instagram account. It's uh, at mask and mitten, M-A-S-K. A-N-D-M-I-T-T-E-N, so Mask and Mitten. And then I have an email address also. It's maskandmitten at iCloud.com. It's the best way to get a hold of me. All right. So for our listeners, if you have some some equipment of your own in your collection, catcher's equipment that you'd like to share with Jeff, I'm sure you'd appreciate the uh, the pictures and some of the words. And uh, certainly, he's a, he's a great person to follow. I love all of your posts, Jeff. You're somebody that's how... I originally came across and asked you to come on the interview, just following you on social media. And I'm just very appreciative that you could take some time out of your schedule to come on the show and discuss your collection and the history of the catcher in general. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Jeff. Jeff Fields, everybody, mask and mitten. Follow him and uh, really enjoy what he's putting on. To our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. And remember, there are only two seasons, winter and baseball. Mm-hmm.